No, uh, Jim just said to me, um, they, they may walk out halfway through. I said, when you go, just give a big huff and then walk out. <laughs> but better not, I better say it, just in case people think you don't know what I'm saying. Um, anyway, it's good to see you. Um, as uh, tradition states uh, for me that my message on Mother's Day is never about mothers. <laughs> so I apologise about that, but I don't know what to do about that. You can only speak what you, the Lord puts on your heart. And the Lord put a verse on my heart at the beginning of the week, and uh, um, quite a strange, odd one, and it was this. It's from um, Psalm 51, verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and, co- and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. And um, I had to go to the Lord with this, because I didn't know what he wanted me to do about it. And... Um, and the Lord really spoke to me and um, really um, opened up really what was in his heart for us this morning. I don't know, is it, is it just my flute that the youth are always in when I'm speaking? <laughs> they love it, don't they? Look, they're all on their phones on Facebook. <laughs> Check in, it's Mary, it's Psalm 51, 17. Are you looking on the Bible app on your phone, are you? <laughs> anyway, it's, uh, don't we love our young people? Some of them were serving last night in the Women's um, International Evening behind the bar. T- um, soft drinks, I presume. Which <laughs> uh, is lovely. But Psalm 51, so Psalm 51, 17, and um, this psalm was written, if you read the whole psalm, you will see that it's a, it's a cry from David's heart because he sinned before God. And the story is that he uh, went up onto his roof and he looked across the way and he saw a woman called Bathsheba who was bathing and he lusted after her and he sent for her, slept with her, uh, sent her away and then she um, got in touch the next morning or whenever it was uh, and said, I'm pregnant. And so he then concocted a plan. Um, How do you get past this? So he, he thought, I'll tell you what, she was a married woman so I'm going to call her husband who was fighting for the country back so that he would spend the night and it looked like his child. So he did that, but this man would not sleep with his wife because he was a soldier. He said, I dare not leave the guys on the front line. He didn't even go home. He slept on the doorstep of David. Um, and so um, long and short of the story is, you can read it yourself in, um, in the Bible. Uh, <laughs> Samuel probably somewhere. Um, and uh, the long short is that David then got in touch with Joab, who was leading, said, put Uriah in the front line. There was certain death, and he killed him. And Nahum, Nahum, Nathan, Nathan the prophet, just checking, uh, was, uh, went, up to, um, went up to David and told him a story. Did you know David? Let me tell you this story. And he said, there was a rich man. He had as many sheep as you can count, and he had it a feast. And next door to him was a poor man. He had one lamb. And this big rich um, guy who wanted to have this feast, he went and took this one lamb from his next door neighbour, slaughtered it and, uh, and enjoyed it. And David got so angry, he said, how dare he? Tell me who he is and I will kill him on the spot. Or oh, I'm paraphrasing. And, and uh, Nathan said, you are that man. And God convicted his heart. And he knew that he was a sinner. And he wrote this Psalm 51. I'm going to read it because just to give you a sense of um, the context of this, of this line. And he, uh, you can read at the beginning of the chapter. Sorry, Dave, I didn't tell you we can do the whole chapter. Um, it says to the choir master, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. 
Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then balls will be offered on your altar. So you see that this song, this uh, repentant song of David, this cry of his heart um, goes up to God and right in the middle or to the, to the middle of the end we see this verse, if you will not delight in sacrifice, I will give it. That is, if I could just take a sheep to the altar, that's not what you're looking for. It says what you're looking for, the sacrifice of God or a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. You know, he... It's interesting with, with, um, with David is this sense that he, uh, he was well aware of the abhorrence of sin. He was well aware of what sin was like in his own life. I think it's verse 3 where he says, um, uh, my, for I know my transgression, my sin is ever before me. The sin is a constant reminder to me of my iniquity, of my life before you. And he goes on and says, um, so, and this is verse four, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. In other words, he was full aware that the judgment of God upon David because of his sin was justified. You know, some people have an attitude about sin that when they're found out, they justify their sin or they think they can um, in some way kind of satisfy or talk God round. Um, but it takes revelation and a reality of sin to say, do you know what, I know I deserve hell. And um, I might mention before, if you've ever read the journal of David Brainard, where some of the greatest moves of God's, when people came to him and said, I know I deserve hell. It's not often that you hear that. We, 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 want, we want to be saved from hell. We're clinging on to the grace of God. But for someone to come to that conclusion where they say, I know what I deserve, that's where David was. He had come to a place of repentance. And, and this is where we start to find this 
um, heart that God is looking for because God wasn't looking for the duties of, Christian, of the Christian life. He wasn't looking for David to say, you know, God, look, I, I promise I won't do it again. What if I did this and I did this for you? Would that satisfy you, you know, you know, like when you tell your kids off and they say, oh, or, you know, I don't know, my kids are getting a bit older now, but and they say, oh, but what if I did this? In some way as if to kind of, if a work would, or a job, or something good would overdo the thing that they did wrong. And I wonder whether in our hearts we have got somewhere kind of, I don't know, caught up in the religion of things. If I could just do what I, Good things, that would just satisfy God. And we have no conscious awareness of our state before God. Because repentance isn't a one-off thing, is it? It's a heart. Repentance means to turn, to change of mind. It's to walk a different way. Isaiah 29 verse 13 says, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honour me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me and their fear of me, is a commandment taught by men. It's an interesting last line. Their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Respect God. You should respect God. Okay, I respect God. I will fear God. Okay, John, I fear God. It's, it's a conscious mental um, decision. Oh, this is how I need to be, John, is it? Don't do that. Okay, John, don't do that. But our hearts are far from God. These people draw near me. They sing the right songs. They honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And God is after the heart. I know this is a mantra of mine because it's a conviction in my own heart. You know, broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. What does this mean? So the context isn't just about the situations of life and how they cause us to be broken. This is about repentance and it broken literally means broken in pieces. The context is about self. It's a realisation of sin. It's a realisation that actually we come out of the womb loving ourselves more than anything else. And even some of the things that we can do are because it satisfies ourself. <clears throat> you know, we think about the power of God. We think about the saving grace of Jesus. His body was broken on the tree. He was nailed on the cross for us, his blood was spilt that we may be cleansed from sin. The Holy Spirit convicts us, causes us to become aware of our guilt and the wonderful washing of the Holy Spirit cleanses us and we can stand before God with a clear conscience. But there's always, there should be always a sense of the abhorrence of sin. In other words, we're not walking around feeling guilty all the time. That's not part of what we believe, is it? There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But there's a difference between awareness of the abhorrence of sin. Romans says, um, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. A contrite, now I had to Google that. It's an old word, I think. It means a humble, open teachable heart so there's the brokenness which is the sense of I realise my condition before God I kneel before God I realise I deserve hell 
But the grace of God welcomes me in as a son. The blood of Jesus cleanses me from all sin. The Holy Spirit comes and fills my heart. And we come to the Lord and we say, Lord, I'm yours. Take me, break me, mould me, shape me. Take the reins of my heart. I'm yours. Is that something that you recognise in your own heart? Lord, when you meet Jesus, you say, I realise I need you. I need you alone. I'm giving my life to you. Spurgeon says, let us seek after the like brokenness of heart for however excellent our words may be. If our heart is not conscious of the hell deservingness of sin, we cannot expect to find forgiveness. I'm going to read that again because I find that really challenging and quite harsh. Let us seek after the brokenness of heart for however excellent our words may be, if our heart is not conscious of the hell deservingness of sin, we cannot expect to find forgiveness. It's an attitude, isn't it, that says, you know, um, and we'll get to this a bit later, but when we start to want to just become liberal in our idea of sin, we've lost the sense of the hell deservingness of sin. I told you this wasn't a very good Mother's Day <laughs> message. A broken and contra heart is one that has come into contact with the love of God. See, we might think of the love of God, of, those, of just the sense or the understanding that we are free from sin or, or of what God's done, but have we touched, if you like, the love of God? It says God is love, the love of God. Have we touched in something of Jesus? An experience, if you like, rather than just a knowledge. Luke chapter 7, 36 to 47, if you would like to turn to it, is the story of one woman who was broken and contrite in heart. Oh, I sort of skimmed through these verses for the sake of time, but the picture is Jesus is meeting a room with some men, some Pharisees, and he's uh, reclining, sort of lying down at a shallow table, And a woman comes in, this is verse 37. A woman of the city was a sinner, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his hair, wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, excuse me, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him and said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. Certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon, Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he cancelled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. And turning to this woman, he said, Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. This woman comes into this very male environment, broken, 
broken in her heart, humbled by the love of God, weeping over Jesus. She was aware of what Jesus had done for her and she worshipped him. And everything else in that room, I don't think she had a blind bit of notice. She just had one devotion and that was Jesus. And that's the heart that God looks for. See, when Jesus becomes everything to us, isn't that the purpose of why we're here? I know there's the purpose of God, you know, the chief end of man is to glorify God, amen, and to enjoy him forever. That's what we say, some of us, if not all of us. That's why we exist, that God may be glorified. But why did God create the world? Yes, for his glory, but he may relate. He may walk with us, he might know us, he might know me. What does it say in Matthew, is it chapter 7 or 5? It says, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these great things for you? And Jesus said, depart from me, I never knew you. I wasn't looking for your works, I'm looking for your heart. This woman gave him her heart. I'm not saying we don't do church, we don't do works, they're byproducts. They're overflowings, they're the obedient responses of loving hearts. There was a song we used to sing, some of us might remember it. Um, I think it's a chorus of a hymn, but turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. See, it's the presence. God wanted to be present with his people. Isn't that what happened in the Garden of Eden? That Jesus walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the, of the breeze, it says. And when Adam and Eve sinned, they hid themselves from God and God was walking and said, where are you? Now, God knows everything. He's everywhere. Why did he say that? Is it because his heart broke as the relationship shattered? God wants to sit with you and be with you and be with me. That's the heart that God wants. Now, I love spending time with my wife. But I don't have to entertain her to keep her there. We can sit. And we can sit and not say anything. We can sit driving in the car now and then. I might say, what are you thinking about, darling? And we might have a chat. But I don't have to do anything. To be with her. She wants me to be with her. Yeah? Amen. Amen. I like it when I talk and she sits over closed eyes listening. <laughs> That's not true. It is true. <laughs> but how much more, if God created us to be heart relationship with him, would he want us to sit and experience his presence? You see, what's interesting about this is that our, the goal of our life should be to be with Jesus in heart with him. And the thing about the proud heart, the distracted heart, or whatever other heart, is that we're out there, in our minds maybe, we're just busy, 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 and we all know that this society makes us busy. But going back to my first one, why about the broken and contrite heart is because one of the greatest issues that gets in the way of us and God is sin. And unless we are abhorrent of sin, unless we are continually aware that there's nothing coming in between me and my God, there should, I am responsible just as much as Janet that nothing comes between us. Don't come between us. 
There'll be a reaction. But is that the same with our relationship with God? We let things come between us. Is there the same reaction? The broken contra heart says, my pride, my self is broken and I just long for Jesus. That's what the Christian life is for me. I don't need church or a position in church. I need Jesus. As we heard prayed this morning, I need Jesus. Church is a byproduct. It's an important part of church. I'm not saying you don't come to church. We should have disclaimers come up on the screen when we say certain <laughs> things. But you understand what I'm saying, I hope. But what, what is it that um, stops this heart from knowing Jesus like this? And this leads me to, I want to go to somewhere else now. Revelation chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Because what is it that can get in the way? And this, I think, is quite interesting when you look at this. The, the letter from God to the church Ephesus is one of the most positive um, letters. And he says this, he says, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. What a wonderful testimony. What a great church. They had activities going on. They were meeting people. People were serving in the church. They were doing wonderful things. But then God says this. says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. And what's even more quite shocking is when you go to the next verse, verse 5, remember therefore... From where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. What does that mean? That means in, in current terms, if you don't repent, I'm going to close that church down. It's not saying that they will lose their salvation. He will close the church down. That's what he means. He will withdraw from that church. And either that church will carry on dead or it will just collapse. That's because they abandoned their first love. We can do all these wonderful things in the church. Praise God, let's do more if we have the capacity. But God's not looking at that. He's looking at your heart. He's looking at my heart. I feel challenged by this when I was doing this message, when I was preparing it. See, I just, I just, you know what, you know the term, a shot across the bows? You know, it's like a, um, a maritime thing, isn't it? You know, you'd, uh, these uh, warships out there, they would give a warning, they would shoot just past the other ship saying, if you go any further, I'm going to shoot you down or shoot you under. Have you abandoned your first love? The reason I'm going here is because a broken and contrite heart is so raw for the love of God. Well, what can come in between that that suddenly we're no longer raw, sensitive to the love of God, sensitive to the state of sin? Things can come in. The term is we can backslide. And let me tell you this, just because people aren't coming to church doesn't mean they're backslidden. People can turn up at church week by week and be backslidden. People can preach from the front and be backslidden. 
because their hearts are separating out and they're getting into the form of what they're doing. And God forbid that I will ever do that. I have this book which I read some time ago and I, I got it more recently. It's called um, Go and Sin No More. Uh, it's by Michael L. Brown. And, and in it, he talks about this and I've stolen his five points. Um, why reinvent the wheel? And the first thing he says, he says, what, how can we investigate our lives to see whether we have grown cold in our love toward God? I hear five points. First one. First question, has my personal devotion to Jesus declined? Has my personal devotion to Jesus declined? Do you remember the first time you met Jesus? Some of us, it might be a lot longer ago, where it's like we would just sap up everything. Give me everything you've got. You got that Bible open, you read it, you didn't know what it meant, but you just wanted some more and more of God. There was a, a desire, a, a passion, a, a longing, a you just, it was like a sponge and you just sponged it all up. And then as time went on, it kind of like things got in and you maybe started doing things and, and then it went, you know, you kind of like grew a little bit dimmer in your hearts and, you know, the fire starts to die down. And then we start to say, yeah, well, that was, that's the honeymoon period, isn't it? So now we're in reality. Reality isn't like the honeymoon period. It's like graft, isn't it? Then we start to justify why we don't do things. We start talking about grace. Isn't it wonderful that the grace of God covers me that I don't need to spend time with Jesus? Isn't that lovely? See, personal devotion is that time we give to God. Now, I know we can talk to God while we're doing the shopping. We could be, you know, doing at work and we can talk to God, these kind of things. But how much of your personal devotion to him Have you neglected time with God recently? See, I think sometimes we have to take stock, don't we, and say, right, do I need to go back to that place of worship? Do I need to go back and set time in my life, even if it's late at night because the kids won't go down, or whether it's early in the morning because that's the only time when it's quiet in the house, or whether it's you taking a lunch break at work, or whatever it is, but you... Carve out time because God is your biggest concern right now. And I'll tell you what, I think sometimes you have to go through that and it's hard and then God just breaks through. What happens when our hearts grow dim, our hearts get hard? And God has to soften them and soften them until he can really get into them. Number two, has my personal satisfaction in God decreased? Have you been seeking fulfilment elsewhere? That new job you've got or that new toy that you've got, and that can mean tools, guys. <laughs> that, that new study that you're doing, that new theology course. <laughs> Talking to Sally about studying. It could be that, not Sally, but it could be a, you know, a work at church. That cafe job you've got. Or is it your family? You no longer look for your satisfaction in the Lord. You don't need to. You've got all these many other things. That job promotion. Has it become the thing that grabs your time the most? You've been let down recently and, 
uh, and you've really kind of responded angrily and you got really upset or maybe you haven't got the credit that you were hoping you should get for the things that you've done and you're getting really annoyed and all that your, your partner gets is this. You know, why do they never do this? They never see this. And you say, hold on a minute. Where are you getting your satisfaction of life? Where are you getting the joy of your life? Because it should be coming from Jesus. If your wife or your husband isn't giving you the attention you deserve and you're, you're thinking, well, I'm really let down here, you need to go to Jesus. That's what I tell myself. Sometimes I tell Jana, but most of the time I tell myself, John, you've got to go to Jesus. I will provide all your needs according to the riches in glory, Jesus said. And that's not just about money. You sometimes when we start getting a bit upset about what I'm not getting, well, maybe your personal satisfaction in the Lord has backslidden. Number three, has my passion for spiritual work decreased? Have you lost your appetite to serve God? Have you done your time? Oh, I served the Lord when I was younger. You know, I did that, you know, and now, you know, I've done my time. There was a day where you would just love to just be able to serve people. There was something that just was inside. You wanted to tell people about what God had done in your life. But when was the last time you shared your testimony? When was the last time that you just offered to pray for someone or encourage someone? When was the last time that you spent time in the spiritual work of prayer? Or when was the last time you thought, Lord, today I'm going to be open and aware of the opportunities you're bringing in my path? I'm speaking to myself here. Life just seems a like this, doesn't it? We're like guinea pigs in the, no, whatever it is. Hamsters in gerbils in the whatnots. <laughs> Remember the last time you saw a spiritual need and something in you just wouldn't let it lie? See, maybe you need to take a step out of yourself and say, why is it that I don't have a passion for the work of the Lord? Take it to the Lord. Say, Lord, I repent. I repent that I can let things go and not care. Number four, has my standards of holiness become lower? Have you become more liberal in your theology, in your understanding of holy living? Have you let those things creep in? Or are you like, well, the Lord doesn't mind. The language that comes out your mouth, the actions, the thoughts that you think. Oh, praise God for grace. Amen, praise God for grace. But that's not what grace was provided for. Grace is in the empowering of God to be holy. The Bible says the heart of man is incredibly deceitful. And without continual leaning on the spirit, we will always be led into compromise. See, what concerns me the most, and young people can listen to this, and Jana knows this, and I'm driving in the car listening to some music. I'm not a great fan of worship music. I do like a lot of it, but Jana loves the worship music, and so we have many conversations. But what annoys me, I think, and what concerns me, rather, is when there's someone on the telly that, that is said to be a Christian, and um, you don't see the life 
Now, I know you've got to take what you see and you don't know what the reality is because the TV is not honest. Um, but sometimes when you listen to some of the music and listen to a Christian song and then there's a, um, like a pop singer in it, I won't mention the one I'm talking about. Jana knows what I'm talking about. And they're in it. And they're like, oh, they're in it. They're singing a Christian song. This is fantastic. It's, you can be cool and be a Christian. And I'm like, it just, oh. Because you see the life and you think, this isn't Jesus. Just because you're singing a Christian song. I know I might have diverted here, but it's the point of, we start to see people, oh so, make, oh, so they're living quite happy Christian lives doing that, so why can't I do that? Well, let's look through the lens of the scripture, shall we? Rather than the TV lens and determine how we should live. But these things creep in. I feel like I'm getting a bit kind of... Um, I'm, I've always believed that you can be cool and be a Christian, but I'm coming to the conclusion that you can't. But are you seeking every day, Lord, I want to measure my life by what I see in the scripture. I want to stand, I want to swim upstream, I want to stand against the flow, I want to be you, I want to live like you, and I don't want to compromise. Or are you just wanting to get by? You know, the Bible says that one day we will all go through the fire and uh, the things that we have built, as God has given us grace, built in terms of loving people and ministering and building up people's lives and the things that the Lord has enabled us to do will go through that fire. And those things that are of silver and gold and will pass through and give glory to God and everything that is hay and rubble will be burnt up and it says, you will escape the flames only just. They have nothing to show for it. And it's holiness. When we liberalise our theology, it's dangerous ground. Breaks God's heart. Number five, am I backsliding in spiritual authority and personal victory? Do you let things lie instead of saying, no, I'm not having this. Lord, I'm going to pray that you break this in my family. Or are you like, oh, it's just life. It's just the way it is. We just have to get through it. Have you kind of like started to shut up Instead of declaring truth and praising God, you're just letting your, these things come upon you and you're just down and, and you're just letting it come over your minds and you're stopping saying, Lord, I'm going to praise you because there's still suffering. I'm going to praise you in the midst of it. I'm going to give glory to you. But we start to shut up. That our spiritual authority, have you stopped believing in the power of prayer? to keep pushing through in prayer and believe in you, Lord. I'm, I'm not going to have it. I'm not going to let God, uh, the, the devil, rob me of my blessings. See, these five questions, I think, are signs that maybe we have lost our first love. Yesterday, I felt really challenged because I was, I'd finished writing out my notes and then I put on Netflix and I started watching this thing and I, and I just thought, what? Not because I was watching telly, but because of what I was justifying in my mind what I was watching. I'm not saying it was really bad. I mean, some, you know, you, you have your button on the skip forward, don't you, on your TV? So it's a continual thing. I remember watching something, and I thought, I'm spending more time doing that. Why on earth am I watching it? 
But listen to this. Let me encourage you with this. See, we don't, before I encourage you, let me know. See, we don't just wake up one day and decide to put Jesus at a distance. Bit by bit, the half man is deceitful. Deceitful. The enemy is moving against us. Society is in, the, is in the influence of the enemy. We need to keep our eyes on the Lord. See, when Jesus ceases to be the prize, the treasure of our day, we will backslide. This is Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. In other words, look at creation. Look at the, the throne of God. What could we just see in heaven and earth? And then he says this, but this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. In other words, just finishing now. <laughs> in other words, God looks through all the cosmos, all the amazing star systems, all the wonderful creation. He comes into the atmosphere of the earth. He sees the wonderful globe, and he comes through and he sees the waters, and maybe he goes through the safaris of Africa or into the rainforest of South America, into the English countrysides, and he comes through and he comes all the way down just to see Doreen. Isn't that amazing? That's who he looks for. That really does stir me up a bit. Of all the things that God has created, he looks for the humble and contrite in heart. It's a wonderful thing. See, have we lost sense of the power of God's love? Have we become works-orientated or religious? Or have we just got into the run of things and we've let these things slide? Let me just go through those five points and then I'll close. Has your personal devotion to Jesus declined? Has my personal satisfaction in, in God decreased? Has my passion for spiritual work decreased? Has my standards of holiness become lower? Am I backsliding in spiritual authority and personal victory? If we, if we can be honest and answer those, then we have to take a challenge this morning. We have to reorientate ourselves and ask ourselves, have we lost our sensitivity to sin? Do we need God to come and create in us a broken and contrite heart? Amen. So, we can't just leave this here, can we? We've got to have an action. And maybe, and I'm not suggesting that we do that now, necessarily, although I think we should respond. Maybe the worship team can come and get ready. But maybe we can start by being honest with ourselves. It's a shot across the bows. 
Let's not get caught up in the things, all the good things that are happening. It's our hearts. Where's your heart at this morning? You in the reality of heart, relationship with Jesus? Are you in the works business? Shall we just close our eyes and I pray? And um, I want to encourage you to respond to this. I want to ask that you might do something, whether you stand up or come down the front. No one's going to pray for you, but do something to respond and ask God to do something in our hearts. Father, I want to thank you for your great love. And I want to thank you, Lord, that you search out the broken and humble, the contrite hearts. Lord, will you give us afresh the sensitivity of your great love? Because only, Lord, when we see you, when we know you, we know and abhor the presence of sin. Father, will you make us holy this morning? Will you cause us to be raw in our hearts, to desire you and to go away and get things right with you? Lord, and as we worship now, Father, will you cause us to make a response to you? Lord, you are looking. We're not interested to see, but you're wanting to look at hearts that are honest with you this morning. And Lord, will you come and fill us by your Holy Spirit? In Jesus' name. Amen.